As our psalmist said, when the word of God is opened, it gives light because it is wonderful. Through this word, God turns and is gracious to you. Now, the psalmist did not know the revealed Christ the way you do, but the psalmist must have had a foretaste of this promise that was to be fulfilled. But now for you, your treasure has come. Apparently, it is treasure hidden in such simple things as your baptism. And while little Carter, well, we've just witnessed this for you, I know that many of you do not even remember your baptism, but it does not matter, for Christ has given you this promise. And it comes to you today again in the Lord's Supper, this treasure, and even in a sermon preached for you on a July morning. But now the hidden is revealed, and you have one treasure beyond all riches, beyond all wisdom, even that of Solomon. You have been given more than he, for Christ has found you. That's right. Christ now has found you, you in your sin. Christ has found you buried, and he has sold all, given all, life itself, to have you, to forgive you, to make you perfect. Now the grace and peace of God our Father and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, be yours. Amen. Well, you heard last week a parable about the weeds among the wheat. And this was a parable that needed an explanation that you can't just go pulling all the wheat out of, all the weeds out of the wheat. And Jesus says this is indeed the kingdom. This is the church. We all exist together. And the temptation is to look around and wonder, am I wheat or weeds? But Christ now comes and makes you into his wheat. Well, we had that parable last week, and there was an explanation. But in between the parable and the explanation came three little short, two little short parables that we get this week, a couple of tagons, one about the mustard seed, that the kingdom of, of God is like a mustard seed. Now, it's so insignificant, I almost skipped it this morning. Uh, these seeds are so small, you drop them and you can't find them. You lose them. And I, and I wonder... Do we even use seeds anymore? You can just go and pick, get little seedlings. Well, some of you are still using seeds. Uh, but, but Jesus says this is how the kingdom of, of heaven uh, comes. The seed is so small, yet it grows into something quite nice, uh, quite significant, uh, that the birds make their nests in its branches. And then Jesus says the kingdom is like yeast. And I can't claim to be much of a baker, uh, probably not one at all, uh, though uh, at the guidance of my wife, I've made some cookies. Uh, I can do a few things, but I have watched her make bread, and I know that there are a lot of ingredients that go into it, and even here, Jesus is giving us a very simple recipe, uh, flour and yeast. Now, I know there are a few more things required, but there's a lot of flour. Three measures, he says, and just a little bit of yeast, and the yeast is so small that you could hardly... Uh, you could hardly feel its weight in your hand, but you need that yeast in the recipe for the bread to rise. And Jesus says, a woman mixes in this little bit of yeast with three measures of flour, and it rises. It is leavened. This is how the kingdom of heaven comes, he says. It looks very insignificant. Well, next in chapter 13 of Matthew 
Jesus actually tells about the use of parables. Our reading skips that, but I want you to know that Jesus says here that parables are not to make things clearer, but it is to make things hidden. Well, that's kind of a surprise. And then he goes on and, t- and tells three more short little parables. One about treasure hidden in a field that a man who was working in the field, he doesn't own the field, but he finds this treasure. Rather than taking it, he goes and sells all that he has so he can buy the land. And he buys the land and has the treasure. Or it is like a merchant looking for fine pearls and finding the one pearl of great price, the best pearl ever. He sells all that he has and buys the pearl. And finally, the last piece, the last parable, it's like a net thrown into the sea and it catches all kinds of fish. And then the fishermen draw out the bad fish and throw them in the fire and keep the good fish for themselves. This is the kingdom of heaven. And you might wonder if if there's any comfort in these parables at all. And it doesn't seem like there is. Now, I remember fishing as a child with my grandpa, my dad's dad. He was quite the fisherman. We'd sit down on the dock, my brother and my grandpa and me, and uh, we'd dig up the worms. We never bought worms. We had to dig them up. Uh, but we'd put them on the hook. Now, I know that's not the highest form of fishing for those of you who are fly fishermen, fly fisherwomen, but we'd use worms in a hook and catch lots of sunfish. And also, you know, we'd also catch bullhead. I haven't seen bullhead in, in quite a while, but back in the day, we'd catch bullhead, and we didn't keep the bullhead. My grandpa said they're good for smoking. That's about it. But if you caught a bullhead, we had these big rubber gloves that you'd take and grab the bullhead so you didn't get pricked by the the barbs and take it off the hook and throw it back. Well, this is exactly what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. You have good fish and bad fish, and you begin to wonder when you hear the parables, now, where am I in this parable? This is our temptation. And for this last one, you might wonder, am I a bullhead or a sunfish? Well, you are, in and of yourself, bullheads. As am I. This is, this is the way we operate. But now Christ makes you into his sunfish. Uh, we'll start with the end and work back. Christ is making you into his sunfish. But I want to talk a little more about the treasure hidden in the field. I'm not a treasure hunter. I've never found uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I've never found a treasure chest full of uh, uh, valuable things. Though in our moving process, uh, you might wonder about all the uh, chests and, and treasures that I thought I had uh, that I'm hanging on to for some reason or other. But I want to tell you that last weekend, Aaron and I took our little kids out to an alfalfa field in the middle of Wisconsin. And what did we find there? Did we find treasure? Well, almost. We found lots of airplanes, thousands of airplanes. It was the, it was the big air show at Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And uh, we went... Uh, to camp there. And this sounds a little crazy, especially when you think of the heat that we've had in the last week. But this was a tradition that I grew up with. My dad had an addiction to airplanes, uh, and he passed that along to me. Uh, So I have great memories of camping in the middle of July and August uh, in a field in Wisconsin where there are lots of airplanes, uh, where you saw and heard and breathed airplanes for Well, 10 days back then, now a week if you wanted to stay for the whole thing. We camped in the middle of a field. uh, And I can't say that my kids have have, uh, 
inherited this uh, love for airplanes as much as I have. Time will tell. But there we were looking for treasure, and we found lots of it in the form of airplanes and people who love airplanes. Now, there's a temptation when you look at things like this. They're bright and shiny. They're loud. uh, And they're tempting you to sell everything that you have so that you can afford them. Uh, Some of those airplanes, we'd have to sell all that we had, and that would just be the down payment. Uh, This is the temptation when you find something great. But now Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the middle of a field. And when a man finds it, he sells all that he has. And you have to wonder, where am I in this parable? Are you the man? This is our temptation. Should I sell all that I have in order to get this treasure? Well, we're not quite there yet. I want to tell you about a little more treasure. I I mentioned a few weeks ago uh, that I had entered a uh, sweepstakes for a pontoon. You might recall this. Uh, through a gas station that's coming to town and they're giving away a pontoon. This sounds like great treasure. Uh, And I want to tell you that the response I had from First Lutheran members was priceless. Some of you said, uh, one of you said, go enter in my name so you get more entries. And if you win in my name, I'll give you the pontoon. (laughs) Well, that was so sweet. Uh, Some of you uh, also said, well, if you win the pontoon, I want to ride. So uh, if this happens, we'll uh, have a a First Lutheran day out at Wall Lake, and we'll give rides. Um, I'm not counting on it, by the way. Uh, Some of you also said, well, I'm going to enter, and wouldn't it be funny if I won instead of you? (laughs) And that would be funny, actually. I think that would be great. I hope this happens. We can celebrate this. We'll still have a First Lutheran day on Wall Lake for rides. But we're always looking for treasure, and the louder, the better, whether it's a boat or an airplane. And I'll tell you, one one more piece of treasure was the the airplane that's being given away uh, by a flying organization. I was able to lay my hands on this Cessna 170, a highly desired airplane these days, being given away at Oshkosh as well. Uh, and, of course, the, the point of an air show is to be loud and to get attention. Now, in Sioux Falls, there is an air show, and you've heard the uh, Thunderbirds flying overhead. You've seen the C-47 with its black and white victory stripes giving rides. Uh, it is to be noticed. This is what it appears you do with the treasure. But Jesus comes and says, the treasure, uh, the kingdom of heaven, is a treasure hidden in a field. It is like a mustard seed, small, unnoticeable, not loud, but it becomes the greatest treasure that you've ever had. So what do we do with all of this, all of these parables about the kingdom of heaven that don't seem to bring much comfort, doesn't seem comfortable that the kingdom comes by chance, and that it just comes to one person who doesn't then share it but keeps it for himself? Oh, this seems very troubling. But I want you to know now that the kingdom has come to you, that this treasure has come to you, and that there is a great reversal in this parable that finally Christ is the one who finds you and makes you his treasure, that you are buried outside of Christ in death, searching for all other forms of treasure, whether they be pontoons or airplanes, or anything else, but now Christ has come. 
and he has found his treasure and made you perfect in himself. And I want to read to you the fruit of you being Christ's treasure. We heard it once, and we'll hear it again in the book of Romans. I'm going to read this for you once again. The kingdom of heaven has come to you now. And so we hear this from Paul. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul recognizes that when you have this treasure of the kingdom, it doesn't take you away from suffering, but you actually will enter into suffering in this old world. Yet the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, prays for you, supports you. This is what it means to be found in Christ. Paul continues, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, this is what it means to be found in Christ. You have been found. Christ has claimed you as his own. This is your predestination. And it's happening actually now as you hear the word, as you have been baptized, as you receive the promise of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And the fruit of this, Paul writes in this beautiful compilation, he says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. And you might wonder where the blessing is here. Paul brings this Old Testament reading in that we are being killed all day long. Yet when you are found in Christ, there's something more. It may look hidden. It may look insignificant, but it now is everything. And Paul finishes. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The kingdom has come for you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is yours now. In this old world, you will be, you are being used up, and there is suffering that accompanies this but the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. God's word does point out where we have failed, and we have. We are bullheads outside of the grace of Christ, but now he makes you his sunfish. Now he finds you and makes you perfect. You who are buried, you have been found, and now there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are beautiful treasure now in Christ's eyes. Amen. Amen.